Please open up your Bibles in 1 Peter 1 as we continue our series that we started last week, hope, leading up to Easter, Hope Rising. And as, as last week we were looking at Romans 5, this week we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 1, which is a letter that Peter wrote to the dispersed church uh, around the ancient world. And this was a time of persecution. This was a time of strife for the people in the church. And Peter is writing to bring them encouragement during their hardships. So let us read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. <clears throat> in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it, it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you first and foremost because you have given us your word, because you are a God that has revealed himself to us, a God that did not uh, st stand in the shadows, but decided to come to us in Jesus Christ, to walk among us, and even now you are within, within us in your Holy Spirit. We praise you because you are a God that has given us hope, a God that has not left, left us just endure the consequences of our sins, but instead you have decided to walk with us through this and give us a hope that, is, that, is, that you are guarding for us that is impossible to take away. We pray now that as I preach that you will give me your words and that you will give the people ears to listen uh, as your Holy Spirit give us understanding. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In Chile we have a little running joke we often joke around, around saying, eight out of ten natural disasters prefer us. <laughs> Whatever you think of, we have it. Earthquakes, we got it. Volcanoes, yep. Tsunamis, yes. Floods. We have everything. Even tornadoes. Like just a few years ago, we, for the first time in recorded history, Chile had a tornado. Now, how did that happen? We have no clue. It shouldn't happen in a climate as Chile. But, you know, we also have a saying that says, what does the water really do to the fish? If you got, props to you if you got that. In 2010, we had an 8.8 .8 earthquake in the Richter scale. And if you don't know what the Richter scale is, it's a scale to measure earthquakes from 1 to 10. And if you want to know what an 8.8 .8 is, it's pretty, pretty, pretty strong. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's the largest earthquake in the last 10 to 12 years. Uh, so it was massive. A lot of, even though Chile is well built for earthquakes, there was a lot of destruction. There's so much you can do. 
Uh, and even worse, there was a tsunami that came afterwards. And at the end of the day, it resulted in uh, over 500 people killed. Um, a lot of people have to, had to leave their homes. A lot of the people had to reinvent their lives. There's even a, 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 a picture that is very symbolic of that time. It's a man holding a Chilean flag stripped in half uh, out of the rubble. This was a really hard time for the Chilean people. In 2014, we had a, in the north of Chile, we had an 8.2 earthquake. Again, very, very large earthquake. It brought also large devastation, not as many deaths, thankfully, but a lot of people had to leave their homes again, reinvent their lives, start over. In 2008, a whole town was buried under ashes from a volcano eruption. I actually visited that place a few years later, and you can actually see the rooftops in the, in, in, in the rooftop and everything else covered in ash. And people had to relocate. The whole town had to relocate somewhere else. It was a volcano that we thought was not active, but just so you know, in Chile we have around 90 active volcanoes, and even those inactive sometimes just pop back up to life again. We are currently now coming out of the most devastating wildfires that we've had in the last 30 years. This was during last month. Uh, I had a friend actually who had to leave his home because of the smoke. Uh, he has a one-year-old and he just couldn't stay here. Over 20 people are, were killed during this incidents. Um, and it, it's, been, it's always been a hard season. But here's the thing. Chilean pride themselves in being resilient. They, because we are just used of being in times of crisis over and over again, there comes a point in which you, every, every time you go to the next crisis, you're more and more prepared to deal with it. You're more and more prepared to endure it. Chileans know how to live in times of emergency. They, when they go to supermarkets, they don't buy all the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> they do the water, but not the toilet paper. <laughs> I still wonder why you guys do that over here. <laughs> there's, there's never really a sense of panic. We, have, we also have a special superpower. If you ask any Chilean after an earthquake, they can tell you with astounding accuracy where it lands on the Richter scale, just by feeling it. But the, so the Bible warns us that we will face trials and sufferings. Chile is just one example of how trials and sufferings show up. You guys have your own trials here in the States as well. But we have also have a promise coming with those trials and sufferings. As Dean was preaching last week in Romans 5, these sufferings bring to us, you remember, they bring endurance, which brings character, which brings hope. That's the promise that God gives us. That's the promise, that, the promise that God gives us, is that he will be working through those suffering. So we have a hope that endures. We have an enduring hope. And the first characteristic of a living hope is, of a, an enduring hope is a living hope. Let's, let us read again verses 3 to 5 of our passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 3 gives us a key characteristic of our hope. It is a living hope. And this is in contrast to a dead hope. A dead hope is a hope that is based on things that will fade away. And sadly, most of the things that we put our faith in today are things that do eventually fade away. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says the following. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. What is he telling us? He's telling us all the things that you toil for, all of them, why do they really matter? Isn't it vanity? If all things, if generations come and generations go, why are we working so hard? If you're, you may be someone today that lives this, that kind of life, a kind of life that only has its hopes on the things of this world. If you're one of those people, I'd like to just leave you with this question. Why, what, why do you work so hard? Why do you suffer as you do? Why do you toil as you do? Maybe it's time to look for something that's more permanent something that will last forever, as we will see as follows. But the things we put our hope in, this can be good things. But it is when we make them ultimate that we realize that they can be, they can be taken away in the blink of an eye. And sadly, all things in this life are under the dominion of death. What good is anything we do if we eventually die and decompose? That's what the modern worldview teaches us, that, well, when we die, there's nothing afterwards. That's all there is. You just live this season of life, and it's gone. What about nations? Have you, have you ever been stressed out by the way your country's going? I have, and I know you have. But nations will fall, will rise and fall. Every nation eventually goes away. Do we do well by getting so obsessed over this? It's not that we don't, can't worry about them, but is our hope really based on that? Our relationships, relationships end. I mean, here's a sad thing. I'll be living in a few months, and it's just the way life goes. There are relationships I won't be able to keep up with because there are new people in life as well I'll be meeting, and there's new people you guys will be meeting. Relationships end, even the closest ones. Nothing lasts forever. The company you work for won't last forever. And our lives and the lives of our children won't last forever. Why do we build our lives upon these things? Good things, yes, but why do we make this them our ultimate goals? But Peter points us towards a foundation that is not futile, but instead is everlasting, that will endure the trials of life. We're reminded in verse 3 of what God has done for us. Look at this. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is very similar to how Romans 5 starts. It starts by praising God for what he has already done for us. Our hope is built upon a solid 
foundation given by God himself in Christ. And in this case, Peter is emphasizing in Christ's resurrection. And as we approach Easter season, we rightly focus on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, died in the cross in order to receive the punishment we deserve for our sins. But history is not just about the cross. It's not just about Friday. What do we celebrate in Easter Sunday? Why are we joyful when Easter comes? Because of the resurrection. It is good for us to come back to the cross and remember the love of God, but we cannot just stay in the cross. If the cross was all there was, then we'll have no reason to be hopeful. Because at the end of the day, what the cross is showing us is the effect of death. It's, what, it's the price that had to be paid. We need to see what happens next. The resurrection. And this is what Peter is pointing to us here. The resurrection gives us a hope that is living. And a hope that's living is a hope that endures because that hope is someone who lives forever. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He has a body. He defeated death. He is now alive. And he will be alive forever. He is the foundation of our hope. He does not fade away because death does not hold a grip over him, not like the things that we hold dear. No, Jesus Christ is different. He lives forever. In him, in his resurrection, we have guarantee that life has triumphed over death. And we are made alive with him. We are born again with him. And so... When we are born again into a living hope, this is, this is towards something. It's not that just we live a life. It's towards something. The Bible calls us children of God often. And so as children, we have an inheritance. We price a lot of things in our lives today, don't we? But God's, God loves to give us things too. He is a gracious and loving Father. He loves giving us good gifts. And this is where first four comes to play. Let's look at it again. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven from you. How different is that description from the things that we were just talking about? Un imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is what an enduring hope looks like. This is the great difference between the things we do and the things that God does. Ecclesiastes does answer the original question, what, what, why do we toil so hard? It does. In, in chapter 3, verse 14, it says the following, I perceived that, that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. And we know that these things will last forever because it's God himself who, himself who is guarding them. It is not subject to the dominion of death. And what is this inheritance? Well, this inheritance is eternal life. It is what Christ earned for us when he resurrected, to be free from death and to live in communion with God forever. The things that we toil for, the things that we have here, the things that we build, they're actually not vanity. But they're not vanity when we understand that they are gifts from God. That there are things that are works that have been worked by the hands of God. And because they're under the hands of God, they will continue in all eternity when we are walking in our bodies, with resurrected bodies with them. 
If your hope is placed in the things that the world offers, if, if your hope in your family, work, friendships, money, marriage, and many others, if your hope is placed in those things, then I'm sorry to tell you that those, your hope won't last long. As soon as trouble comes, you'll see your, draw, your hope fading. Because eventually, you realize that these things come and go. Sometimes, you will realize while you're living, but eventually, when you're dead, you realize, people at least around you will realize that it didn't really matter if there's nothing else. But if your hope is placed in the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ and all the good inheritance that, he, that God himself is guarding for us, then that hope will endure forever. Because as verse 5 says, it is, it is guarded for you, and it's in your faith, which God himself, through his Holy Spirit, helps you persevere in it. God is caring for our inheritance in the last day, but if you're someone who is going through trials, who is facing difficult circumstances in life, the living hope, this living hope can be really hard to see, which brings us to our second point, growing hope in trials. Let's read verses 6 to 7 again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Imagine you're on a ship, a sturdy ship, and a ship that you've been told that it can withstand everything. So you go at first with great confidence, and when the waters are calm, you, yeah, I can see this ship. Yeah, this ship looks great. It will take me anywhere I want to, and it can endure anything. But what happens when a storm comes in? A really, really bad storm, like the ones in the Pirates of the Caribbean, if you've seen the film. <laughs> Those that are just big, big circle, winds everywhere. You cannot see what comes beyond. You see thunderstorms. You, see, you feel how the ship moves from one place to the next. Even though you've been told that the ship can withstand anything, you would probably be doubting, can it really withstand anything? And it may be the case that the ship will, in fact, make it through the storm. But internally, we will have trouble navigating the idea, no pun intended, that the ship will make it towards the end. Because, well, all I can see is the storm that is in front of me. This is how trials in our lives make us feel. This is how the trials make them feel. Imagine being in those times, being, being humiliated for your faith, being persecuted for your faith, having they had to disperse all over because of the persecutions, and, they are, and because of their faith. What does that say about the promises of God? If God says that he will make his church persevere, then why are we being persecuted as we are? If God loves me, why does he allow suffering in my life? Where is God in the midst of my suffering? Sometimes trials and suffering makes us feel isolated, almost as if God has abandoned us. But there are two ways in which I want to highlight and which our text tells us and our series tells us in which trials give endurance to our hope. The first way is the way it's described in last week's text in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, which goes as following. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering gives us endurance because we learn how to walk through difficult situations as God changes our character. I think last time I preached, I told you about my, my hiking in a snowy mountain and how I pretty much almost got killed if it weren't for a, a, an experienced French alpinist. Well, that same day, what made it also hard, it was it, because it was snowing, it was the first time I ever hiked on snow. And the first time, and hiking for the first time in snow, it's awful. It's just awful. I didn't know where to step. I was cold. I wasn't wearing special equipment. At one point, I actually walked over, I, I stepped on a small stream that had a frozen layer, and I got all my leg wet with frozen water up, to, up until my knee. And you can imagine that it was also extremely windy, so having wet, uh, wet pants when there's extreme wind, it's, it, it, it was just miserable. <laughs> Here's the thing. I learned two things there. One, I was woefully unprepared for snow. <laughs> Even though I thought I, I thought I had it all figured out, as soon as I was hit with the snow, I realized I have no clue what I'm doing and felt completely helpless. And, but the other thing that I learned from that is, well, Next time I go and walk with the snow, in the snow, I'll be much better prepared. Now, I know to wear the special equipment. I'll look around and see, well, is this ice or is this just snow? I won't make the same mistakes again, hopefully, although sometimes that can happen. And this is pretty intuitive, isn't it? As the more exposed we are to something, the more tested we are in some things, we become better at it. And as we rely on God during hardships, we learn to do this more and more in all areas of our lives. So our, and our character also changes with trials. Suffering humbles us. It humbles us. It, shows us. it shows us that we are not as in control as we think we are. It's easy to, be, to, to just let loose and think, oh, I have everything in my life is under control. But sometimes God rocks our ship and shows us, no, you're not the one in control. It's me. And, when we f and it makes us feel helpless. And because we feel helpless, then we start to see, yeah, the only one I can really depend on is God. And we learn to go to God for help. And this is something we should be doing even when, our t when times are good. But it, just because of our faithlessness, we often need us to be rocked in order to learn this. And the other thing that it does, it also makes us more compassionate towards others that are struggling. You see, struggles do not only benefit us, it benefits those around us as we walk with them. But there's a key phrase in verse 6. Look at it. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. The difference between our trials and our dead hopes but sorry, but the difference between our trials and our living hope is that our trials are only there for a season. Peter is reminding them this. That's why he says, for a little while. It's almost like, he's, yeah, I acknowledge that you're suffering, but remember, this is only for a little while. There's going to be an end to this. Our hope is an inheritance. It's everlasting. Trials are temporal. Because once we go to be with Christ... There will be no more suffering, and there will be no more tears. This is a good reminder for us in our, in our trials today. They're, they won't be there forever. 
there's something beyond that will endure forever. But the second way in which our trial produces an enduring hope is what we see in verse 7 of our text, is to test the genuineness of our faith. It reveals us. Sometimes we may think, oh, I, I have great faith. Things are going great. And then we're hit by trials, and we realize, that, oh my goodness, I'm stumbling. I'm going to have a hard time trusting God. It's not that God is testing our faith for Him. God knows. God knows exactly where our heart is. God is testing our faith so that also we can see our faith. We can see how strong it is. We can know that we need of Him to have strong faith. Because our faiths are weak. (laughs) That's the bottom line. Our faith is often weak. But thankfully we have the aid of God through the Holy Spirit to help us build our faith up. And God reminds us of us, of that, in our times of suffering. You probably uh, all heard of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I'm assuming that many, some of you have read Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. That's, that's actually a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And it's called Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. And it's literally about Charlie and his grandfather and his family getting in with Willy Wonka, who is an eccentric chocolate maker, in a glass elevator, and they shoot up into space and have a whole space adventure in their glass elevator. But in order to get to space, they have to crash through the ceiling of the factory in the glass elevator. And Charlie and his grandfather get a little bit nervous. They look at each other, well, will, will this glass elevator stand? But, and then Willy Wonka, they ask Willy Wonka, hey, you, are, are, have you tested it? And he says, no, but in order to go up, we have to go up. <laughs> and eventually, the, the glass, of course, it would have been a very short book if it just crashed and everything ended there. So eventually, the, the elevator actually makes it through the ceiling. But here's the thing. They actually had, the glass elevator was good. There's nothing wrong with the glass elevator. But after they see the glass elevators crash through the ceiling, now they know, oh, this thing is sturdy. And that is what God does in our trials. He shows us that our hope is sturdy. It crashes through the ceiling and it's, and it's there with, without even a single scratch because our hope is in Christ. And there are really only two outcomes from our testing. Either our faith is genuine or our faith is not. The Titanic was thought to be unsinkable, but when it was tested, it was proved that it wasn't so. Either the Titanic was unsinkable or it was not. And either our t- faith is genuine or is it not, or it's not. And it, so this will happen to those who do not have genuine faith. They will fall away from trials. Maybe you know people like this, who after trials they fell away from faith. And now we pray for them to come back, but many times these are people who didn't have genuine faith. But we need to be careful here because I don't want you to live with the impression that our hope relies on how we respond to trials. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Remember who is writing this, Peter. Peter is well known for for when he was tested, when he was surrounded, when Jesus was being crucified, and he was surrounded by people, by the mob there, and his life was at peril. What did he do? Shortly after saying he would never deny Jesus, he denied him three times. So Peter is writing as someone who fast failed miserably in this department. That is, who, that is Peter, and the people know this. But here's the thing. As, as we see Peter fall, 
as we see Peter fail, we also see in John 10, 1, when Jesus was, when Jesus was resurrected, he then restores Peter. He, holds, he tells him three times, he asks him three times, do you love me? To which Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. And then told him, go feed my sheep. Jesus tenderly restored Peter. Our hope is not our reaction to it. Because even when we fail, if our faith is genuine, he will be there to restore us. Because he will never let us fall away. And maybe you look back at your times of trial and say, wow, I really did that. that didn't, I really did not react well to that. Don't worry. If, if you still hold to your faith, that means that he made you endure and he has restored you. I know that some of you here, I know for a fact a lot of you here are going through really, really hard things right now. You're in that ship in the middle of the storm, wondering if that ship will hold up. You're tired and weary. You may be wondering, why is God allowing this? Why can't God just make this stop? All that you can see is the pain that is in front of you. But if you're a true follower of Christ, this is the promise that God gives you. The ship will not sink because the one who sustains it 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 is our everlasting hope and he will make sure you will make it to the other end holding on to the inheritance that has been guarded for you i know some of you have gone through very difficult things in the past circumstances that have really wounded you and even as you look back on them today you wonder well why did god allow me to go through them was it really necessary for it to go this way why couldn't he work in me in other ways that didn't involve all this pain and all this suffering? And we're not going to solve the issue of why we go through pain and suffering because honestly, I don't know. And God does not really reveal the whole extent of why he does these things. Those are things better left to him. But he, but he doesn't leave us out there any, either. He doesn't leave us with no answer either. Because we do know this. If you're standing here on the other side, holding on to faith, even if your head is spinning, even if you're flooded with questions and doubts, but if you're still holding on to your confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, your hope has endured. And God has been faithful to you in keeping your inheritance. Even if it is hard for you to see, and sometimes, and sometimes it, can take, it can take years, and maybe we will never see it in this life, but if you're still here, God has worked in you, has made you grow, and has made you endure. And the result of our tribulation is that as we see God's faithful work in our lives during our times of suffering, as verse 7 says at the end, it will result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ who will come. And this will result for us in a joyful hope. Because we're certain that Christ will come, which brings us to our third and final point. Joyful hope and certainty. Let us read verses 8 and 9 again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, see, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Living, a living hope, a hope that endures, it's a hope that is joyful. Look what we've been told so far. Let's do a recap. 
an imperishable inheritance whose foundation is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God Himself, who lives forever. And even the trials and sufferings that we endure in this life are used in God's hand to perfect and to test the faith by which we gain this inheritance. Even the bad things in our lives help us towards that inheritance. There's plenty of reasons to rejoice, isn't there? We come from a place of hopelessness, of putting our hope in things that, that fade away, and now we are in a place where we have hope in things that will last forever. God is being extremely, extremely gracious towards us. How can, and how can an enduring hope be enduring if it does not bring us joy? It, it cannot. Because when we look at us, because something that's hopeful and does not bring us joy, it's not really hope. Because it means it's not a good thing. So rejoice in that hope that you have. That hope is not, because a hope, that, a hope for things that are bad is fear. You've probably heard this saying, it is the hope that kills you, right? We say this because the disappointment of having our hopes frustrated can be worse than simply not having hope at all. But because we are certain that God will come through with His promises, we can endure and rest easy in the certainty that Christ resurrected from the dead and is alive forever and that in Him we have everlasting life. (coughs) But look at what... (coughs) Peter highlights to them, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter walked with Christ. He was an apostle. He walked with Christ. He saw Christ. He knows he knew Christ. He saw the miracles. He saw Christ's resurrected body. Imagine that. You see someone who was crucified. You saw him get buried. And then you see him in the flesh alive. How often have you thought, Oh, if I was... Peter or other biblical people like Moses, Peter, David, who've seen wonders and have, have really seen what God has done and God's miracles. Oh, it would be so easy to believe. But before you get a little too high on your horse, remember that all these people severely, really doubted God, even in the midst of that. What Peter is doing here, though, because he had that privilege, he's actually commending the churches for holding to a faith with even less evidence than he had. <laughs> it's a testament of how the Holy Spirit has, was faithful to the church in those times. It is remarkable how this Holy Spirit is faithful to us today, 2,000 years removed. We do not see Jesus physically. We do not see God. He's a spirit. We haven't seen the miracles. We didn't see the, we didn't see the death on the cross. We didn't see the resurrection. But yet here we are. We love God, we believe in Him, and we trust Him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is working that faith in us. God has been faithful in that way, and we have certainty that this is the case. We have a joyful hope in certainty, even in things that we do not see. And the outcome of our verse, of our passage, and of our faith is the salvation of our souls let us go to one final time to our passage in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
That is our inheritance. It's the certainty that we will have salvation for our souls. Souls that were condemned to death are now saved and made to be in communion with God forever. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you have shown us to be a faithful, faithful God. Because even as we are weak, even as we doubt in our times of suffering, even if we doubt in our times of trial, you have helped us hold fast to our confession. You You have helped us persevere in our faith, to keep running the marathon that is life. And we know and we trust that you will do so in the final day. We praise you and honor you and the work you've done in Jesus Christ as we go on to remember him in our season of Easter. Let us never forget that in his resurrection, we are new creatures that are made for an imperishable inheritance. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.